This morning a sermon is titled Real Religion and it is taken from Micah chapter 6 verses 1 through 8. Alyssa, if uh, you can sit and read this, you've had a rather long prayer. <laughs> I'll ask if you read this with me. Hear ye now what the Lord saith. Arise, contend thou before the mountains, and let the hills hear thy voice. Hear ye, O mountains, the Lord's controversy, and ye strong foundations of the earth. For the Lord hath controversy with his people, and he will plead with Israel. O my people, what have I done unto thee, and wherein have I wearied thee? Testify to me. For I brought thee up out of the land of Egypt, and redeemed thee out of the house of servants. And I sent before thee Moses, Aaron, and Miriam. O my people, remember how Balak, the king of Moab, consulted, and what Balaam, the son of Beor, answered him from Shittim unto Gilgal, that ye may know the righteousness of the Lord. Wherewith shall I come before the Lord, and bow myself before the high God? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves of a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, or with ten thousands of rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? He hath showed me what is good, and what doth the Lord require of thee, but to do justly, and to love mercy, and to walk humbly with thy God. Our verse for this morning's sermon is actually Micah 6, chapter 8, and we'll read that again. He was told you, he has told you, O mortal, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. Familiar words to you, perhaps. You memorized them in Sunday school in years past, or perhaps you saw them on the wall of the Library of Congress. They're inscribed there. They are an ancient answer to a modern acronym that Christian children wear on their t-shirts and bracelets and necklaces. WWJD, what would Jesus do? These few words spell it out. What is real religion? In other words, WWJHMD. What would Jesus have me do? After all, real religion is an attempt to answer that as well as the prophet's question, what does the Lord require of you? Here we have it in a nutshell, and it is as valid today as it was 2,800 years ago. Do justice, love kindness, and walk humbly with your God. It was in the latter part of the 8th century BC that Micah prophesied he was a young, he was a young contemporary of Isaiah, Hosea, and Amos. He and Isaiah brought God's message to the people of Judah in the south, while Hosea and Amos took north to Israel. It was a period of turmoil and change. Assyria was fast becoming a world power to challenge the hegemony of Egypt. There was one battle after another, with little nations used only as pawns in the wider struggle. 
Israel and Judah were continually threatened by one power or another. It was a difficult time. Like Amos, Micah was a product of the countryside, a farmer. And like farmers throughout the centuries, he had certain mistrust of city slickers. In this case, he had good reason. It was the city slickers who were fleecing the folks of the countryside that Micah knew as friends and neighbors. It was the city slicker judges who took bribes to render unfair judgment and city slicker priests who were immoral and corrupt. City slicker prophets who would prophesy anything you might want in exchange for a few shekels. No wonder Micah thought that the cities were cesspools of sin. To be sure, he had plenty to complain about concerning the nation's religious habits. It was bad enough that the prophets and priests were not living up to expectations, but the reason they were not was that the people didn't want them to. The only preaching they wanted to hear was, God is in his heaven and all is right with the world. Micah even joked about it. If a liar, deceiveth, deceiver comes and says, I will prophesize for you plenty of wine and beer, he would be just the preacher for his people. They did not want to be embarrassed by anyone who would have them called to account for their behavior. It was time for them to hear a word from the Lord, so Micah came to them with a message that was not only valid for his own age, but for every age to come. Micah begins with phrasing each would have put into an audience in mind of a legal case. He employs the formal language of the law, arise and plead your case. But this is no ordinary courtroom. The judge is God and Micah is the counsel. And before the defendant is called to stand to hear the charges, an impressive jury is, is impaneled. The mountains and hills and the enduring foundations of the earth. Before the members of the court, Micah, on behalf of God, makes a case concerning the chosen people. The actual charge is implied rather than explicitly stated. Israel has grown tired of God and has chosen to go its own way. But why, God asks. Has God let them down? How is that possible? Consider the evidence of history. When Israel was enslaved in Egypt, God gave the people freedom. When they were without leaders, God gave them Moses, Aaron, Miriam, and others. When their very existence was threatened in Moab by King Balak, God rescued them yet again. And when they crossed the River Jordan from Shittim to Gilgal, God was with them once again, protecting them, leading them. Clearly, the evidence of the court shows that whatever the reason for Israel's failure, it cannot be blamed on God. Now it's Israel's turn to address the court. There is no dispute about the crime or the evidence. The accused simply asks, what must I do to set things right? But the very phrasing of the possible remedies betrays the fact that the defendant still does not understand. Israel assumes the solution is more ritual. With what shall I come before the Lord? The possibilities start modestly with the only offering that might be available to a poor worshiper. 
bowing down. Then move to the more costly sacrifice of a yearling calf and then to the outrageous lavish sacrifices that would be available only to a king, thousands of rams and rivers of oil. Finally, to the forbidden dark sacrifice of child's firstborn. The list runs the gamut. What would satisfy God's wounded dignity? You can picture Micah standing there, slowly shaking his head. They still did not get it. Ritual had become an end in itself, not something that pointed to the people's relationship with God. The whole sacrificial system and worship of the temple had been turned into a kind of national insurance policy. We can sin as we wish, so long as we are up to date with our insurance premiums at the temple. With extraordinary nerve, the nation was suggesting that the court, that the sins of the hypocrisy could be atoned for by further hypocrisy in an even grander scale. No, Micah says, there is no mystery to what God requires. And it was nothing to do with the sacrifice of the offering. He has told you, O mortal, what is good? And what does the Lord require of you? To do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. Three elements that constitute real religion, then and now as well. Consider what he says. He begins with do justice. It is the strictest sense. Justice means fair play. It means making sure that all of God's children inherit their fair share of God's good gifts. And if they don't, because someone has swindled them out of their birthright or because they were not strong enough to hold on to it, justice means doing whatever is necessary to sort out what belongs to whom and return it to them. It is not enough to wish for justice or to complain because it's lacking. This is a dynamic concept that calls on God's people to work for fairness and equality for all, particularly the weak and the powerless who are exploited by others. Do justice. Nothing startling here. The nation had known God's standard for justice since Moses came down from the Sinai with the Ten Commandments. The first two, it is unjust to delude people into pursuing false gods, whether ancient pagan deities or their modern equivalents of money, power, pleasure, etc. That ultimately demean and destroy. The third commandment, it is unjust to treat people dishonestly by not being as good as your word. The fourth commandment, it is unjust to overwork people, even yourself. The fifth commandment, it is unjust to allow aging parents or anyone else who might be vulnerable to go without the necessities of life. Number six, it is unjust to deny anyone their very life by killing them. Number seven, it is unjust to put a man's home and family at risk to jeopardize the inheritance rights by seducing his wife. Number eight, it is unjust to take someone's private property without permission. 
Nine, it is unjust to subvert the judicial system with false testimony or anything else. And number 10, setting our hearts on what rightfully belongs to someone else leads to injustice. The standard was very clear. But the standards had gone by the boards. What kind of standard was being met by judges who took bribes? What kind of standard was the rule for the unscrupulous land grabbing of the nobles of the city? What standard would result in oppression of the poor? What type of standard could there be or have been in a temple with prophets letting it be known that they would only come through with something favorable if the petitioner would cross his palm? As Paul would later write, the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And it was certainly apparent in the days of Micah, the standard of God was being ignored. The problem is no less acute than our day. No one would deny that the standards have been lowered. We have rewritten a golden rule to do unto others before they do unto you. Do we have officials taking bribes? Is there any land grabbing going on? Are the poor in America being oppressed? We know the answers all too well. America's standard is not God's standard. Moving along, have you ever seen the judge, Judge Judy on television? I'm told her motto is justice with attitude. In a unique way, in the prophetic understanding of real religion, Micah encouraged something similar. Only the attitude he pairs with justice is kindness, compassion, or loving kindness. As the Hebrew word here, chesed, is frequently rendered, chesed is a difficult to translate with any single English word. It is a relationship word. It has the connotation of getting inside someone's skin, just as we might say, look at it through my eyes or put yourself in my shoes. The feeling is one of changed perspective. To the Hebrews, it would have been a special word because it was the one of the principal attributes of the God in the Old Testament. As God always acted toward the people in a loving kindness, so too God expected them to act the same way toward one another. If God's people are to be just, they are to be even more so. They are to give where no giving is deserved, to act when no action is required, and is not only activity, it is an attitude. Just said, loving kindness. No, Micah's nation was not what it should have been in regard to just said. How could one say that offenders were treated kindly when the judges had been bribed to render unfair verdicts? What kindness was displayed when shady deals deprived people of their houses and land? What kindness was evident when the people were suffering the most? The poor were systematically ignored. In our society is no different. We think of ourselves as a kind people. We are with animals. We do not permit the mistreatment of prisoners of war. We give billions to charity, but the same indictments could not be laid at our doorstep as those of ancient Israel. We think of our judicial system as fair, 
but we know it is much more fair with those who have money and power. There are laws on the books to protect people from the shady business practices that can break, that can bankrupt good families. But thousands lose millions every year because there are so many loopholes in the law. Yes, we give money for the relief of suffering, but we give out of our abundance. What we do not really need, with the result is that which is given is not nearly enough. In short, we are a kind nation. Whether it is convenient, safe to say, Micah would object. A student told about a fisherman, oh, I'm sorry, a student told about a famous lecturer who came to the college, attended, and spoke about the feeling about feeding the people of India. He listed several good reasons why doing so. For people would be employed, friendlier relations with other countries would be established. In addition, it would continue to be in the good graces of the Indian people and of the government. During the informal discussion, which followed The oldest, most revered professor at the college asked, but doctor, don't you think maybe we ought to feed them just because they're hungry? That is the question that joins justice and kindness. Justice and loving kindness, critical to the living of our lives that are pleasing to God, but one can be just without being religious. One can be kind without any religious inclination. That is why Micah says real religion requires one thing more, a humble walk with God. It is the daily walk with God that encourages the commitment to do justice and go even beyond to treat people, even the undeserving, with loving kindness. The ritual of the temple was so important to Israel could give the expression to the vitality of that walk but it could never be the substitute for the daily companionship that is part of a parcel of a life of faith. Walking humbly with God is a call to do more than to come to God with offerings and then thanking to buy God's favor, but to spend the time walking living life with God in ways that would work out in every aspect of life. It implies a sensitivity to the things of God, a concern to allow our heart to be broken by the things that break the heart of God. It is a deep desire to see <coughs> it is a deep desire to see the world through the eyes of God, to act in a world as God would act. When this final requirement is placed cheek by jowl, with the, two, with the first two, walking with God becomes synonymous. And having a heart for justice and compassion, the three cannot be separated by walking humbly with God and living all of life in relationship with God will result in both. Excuse me. Do justice, love kindness, a humble walk with God sounds very much like the answer to WWJD. In fact, it is in Jesus that we see what justice and living kindness look like in a walk with God. 
Jesus is still looking for followers, not admirers, followers. So the correct question for you and for me is WWJHMD. What would Jesus have me do? How is this for a summary? Enter Micah. He has told you, O mortal, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you, but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with God. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we are thankful for having heard your word this morning. We're reminded that all day, every day, we should be focusing on Christ, not worrying about the world and the standards that are set by this country, uh, by our state, etc., although we are obligated to follow them unless they are against your word. And then, Lord, we need to exercise caution. But uh, persecution today is more alive than ever before. And so we need to be mindful to stay in your word and to obey your word, Father. We just pray that you would be with each one here this morning as we grieve with our fellow family members for uh, those who have lost loved ones. And we've lost loved ones here and continue to pray for healing for the pastor uh, for his recovery. Thank you again, Lord, for each one who has come out this morning, for each one who is listening. And each one who has uh, tuned in to watch as well. And we just ask for your guidance for the week ahead. It's in Christ's name we ask it. Amen.